Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. With us today is Gabe Lawrence, General Manager of Cybersecurity Protection at Toyota Motor North America. Gabe has seen the good and the bad with Purple Teaming, and we're here today to talk about what a mature Purple Teaming organization looks like. Gabe, thanks so much for coming on down to the ranch. Great. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to the conversation. First, a brief word from our sponsor. You're in charge of cybersecurity at your company, but do you really know what's going on with your security controls? Are they actually working to keep you safe? The problem is when controls fail, they fail silently. That's why you need Attack IQ the automated insights platform to continually validate your defenses. Better insights, better decisions, real security outcomes. That's Attack IQ. Check it out at attackiq.com. And thank you, Attack IQ, for sponsoring this show. So I thought we could start before we get going with a little bit about your background. Can you tell us, Gabe, a little bit about how you got into information security and what you do at your day job? Sure. Like most people my age, uh, War Games was the inspiration for being interested in uh in security, but it's been a roundabout path to get there from watching the movie as a kid and, and getting here. So I started as a sysadmin. I've been a developer, been an entrepreneur, started a security startup in the early 2000s and have slowly moved it from there into different levels of management in, in the security space. I love that wealth of experience. I love that you bring up war games. It was such a, a critical moment in my youth to have that movie hit the hit the big screens and to show off hacker culture and how cool it could be. That's fantastic. But tell us a little bit about your day job. So I run enterprise security at Toyota Motor North America, which means I'm responsible for all of the business environment as well as our manufacturing environment. And I'm focused on the technical side. So there's a different team that worries about the governance, compliance, and risk, and a different team for vehicle security. So you run the hands-on tech stack teams, the, the engineers and the architects, I guess. Exactly. That, security operations, incident response, all the fun stuff. Sounds good, man. Sounds good. So let's see. We're here to talk about purple teaming today. So let's start with a, a good softball question here. What does success look like? For purple teaming, what is successful purple teaming? <laughs> yeah, so I generally think about there's two kinds of big purple team things, right? There's the collaboration between the blue team and the red team as an ongoing information exchange. And then there's a more targeted activity where you have a specific exercise that they're doing where the red team shows the blue team what they're doing. And the blue team shows the red team what they're seeing. And as they go through that, both of them learn a little bit more about how the thing works and can dial in the detections and protections better. That's the part of the purple team piece that I like is, is that very detailed piece. And for me, the success there is getting to a place where you have a much higher fidelity alert or under your team understanding of how to detect an activity going on in your environment from a, a malicious actor. I love that. And I think the coordination and the communication for me are the best parts of purple teaming too. I was talking to a friend earlier today and we were talking about all the values and benefits of purple teaming. And it was funny that most of them seem to be more in the technical realm of, you know, hey, you, you get better results, you get better detection, you get better protection. And I said, you also get better culture yeah. with a good purple team because you no longer have that red versus blue mindset. 
you've got kumbaya, let's hold hands and get through this together sort of mindset. And I think it makes the blue team customers of the red team, if you will. And I think that it lessens the sort of the rock star syndrome and the, and the resentment that can build between red teams and blue teams. And I think it gets everybody coming to the table together. So that's, that's fantastic. I love that it improves so many things at one time. So how about this? You've done a lot of purple teaming. I would love to hear from you an example of something you tried that you weren't sure it was going to work, but then, hey, it worked. Like, what's a good, <laughs> what's a good we managed to do this and do this well story in purple teaming? We've had a couple of different activities that we've done that have been kind of interesting and surprising. In a lot of ways, right, things don't work the way you think they do until you sit down and try them out. One of the very early activities that I started when we, I first got involved with purple teaming was looking at how can we detect Mimi cats and what kinds of alerts can we do, right? Because ultimately, once you're going to Someone at some point in your incident, they're going to try and fire off Mimi cats, and you you want to kind of see how can you detect it, and what what levels of detection are there, what different tools are going to catch it, and from that we were able to dial in about four or five different ways to detect people running Mimi cats outside of the malware detection piece and transferring over the network and all of those to the point where we were recompiling Mimi cats with changing things so that the normal antivirus detections wouldn't work and and continuing to iterate on how we how we'd go about detecting that. And so and there's a lot of interplay back and forth between the blue guys and the red folks on what did we see that time and what did we miss and why did we miss it? And then the red team getting excited about well we didn't think you could see that, but now you can and now we have to think differently about how we're going to get around that. And, and and it did, to your point, there's that interaction. It takes away the, the adversarial piece between the team. It also makes both of them better, right? Because the red team really has to learn new techniques as, as the blue team gets better. And as they see those new techniques that the blue team is using and they work around them and then the blue team sees them and they they work around what the red team was doing and, and it just spirals up into a, a much higher fidelity kind of detection environment. I get that. And I, I can't help but feel like it's super fun to do too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I can totally see both teams just absolutely enjoying that. Yeah. It's funny. You, you kind of have to push them into the same room. And that's another thing that we've done with it is scheduled specific time and set move them into the same room as part of it and said you guys need to sit next to each other red, there's red no hiding blue only makes purple if you actually mix it together <laughs> exactly <laughs> <laughs> i love it i love it so how about how about a negative story then tell me a tale of something you tried to solve with purple teaming where it just fell apart and didn't work where's a failure story in purple teaming yeah so i've been at toyota for a little over three years now coming on four and so we've been building out this program here. I did purple teaming at the previous company. Some of the first initial activities that we have here, we're learning what purple teaming really means and trying to dial it in. And, and I think having that experience where we were a high-functioning purple team at the last place and we're getting there on this one, I, I missed some of the steps at the beginning as far as setting some guidelines. So we did a... We did a data loss prevention activity with the purple team. And you know, the red team folks came at it like like they would, like, let's look across the board all the ways I can exfil data 
and started flinging data out of our environment and said, well, 80% of the things that we tried to do weren't detected. You're not doing it right. And the blue team was looking at it and, and trying to figure out what they were going to do. And what it turned out was that they were working with data that wasn't core to our business and wasn't the kind of data that we have in our environment. And so our detections were not optimized for that. So we kind of had to stop that one and say, hold on, let's go back. What we need to start at what is important to the business? What are the goals on the, the blue and the red side as far as your blue, what are you tasked to protect? And if you're pretending to be an adversary, what is the crown jewel you're trying to steal? And then take that activity around that. So kind of the scoping it and the business criticality pieces were missed in, in that first round. And so we went and redid that one. But now with the right kind of data and, and got great results out of it and really dialed in some additional detections, but also found a bunch of the things that we were doing really worked really well and, and were able to validate the activities that we have in place. That's an awesome story. And it's a story of a little bit of that culture friction again, right? Where, where red versus blue probably got a little bit on each other's toes for that first scenario <laughs> when it was the wild, wild west. And then once things got dialed in, everybody got into that more cooperative mindset. And it's it's funny how you can you can shotgun blast meaningless data all over the place and get away undetected. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. it's amazing how that works. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. So let's see here. How about automation in uh, purple teaming? What does automation look like? Right. This is one thing we're always talking about in every facet of the game is how do we automate it? How do we go from manual orchestration to SOAR? How do we go from SIM to UABA? How do we go from there's always an automation component? How do you automate purple teaming? Yeah, so that's a great question. So one of the things I've noticed with managing an enterprise, right, is there's always something changing. And so validating your controls, validating that the logs are going where they need to go, validating that the alerts continue to fire, and validating that people still respond to those alerts, all is something that needs to happen, right? So it goes to a little bit of the operations side on, on the blue team. But if, as you're doing your, that purple team activity, you start to break the tests or the scenarios that you're working with down into small chunks, scripting those things or doing them with a tool, any of that, the sort of tools that are out there that kind of live in the space of, of testing either, you know, the attack framework or whatever, building scenarios and those tools that match what your purple team is doing and setting it up so that it is the place that you do that that testing and then hooking that to your to your backend monitoring system at that point you do that day activity say with both teams together and at the end you end up not only with some new detections that you want to have but some scripting or some automation that fires those those attacks off and checks that the the alerts were fired that you can then use as maybe your weekly alert health check or just monitoring that detection, that IDS or whatever didn't suddenly fall off the network. Someone didn't pull the, the cable and use that span port for another activity and never plug it back in. You know, the kinds of things that happen all the time. And so coming out of the purple team with that automation in place and then embedding that as the ongoing health of the environment really keeps, keeps all of that stuff in a high functioning state. 
That's beautiful. And I'm picturing a world now where the uh, the red team is scripting something and the blue team scripts something and then the red team scripts something and the blue team scripts something. <laughs> and at some point you come into the room where you've, you've mixed them together to make your purple team and everyone's catching Pokemon on their phone while the computers are viciously attacking and defending one another. I mean, you that's can- <laughs> the dream, right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's all go eat lunch. <laughs> the computers are attacking and defending themselves. That's brilliant. That's brilliant, man. I, I hadn't thought about that, that you really do want to automate on both sides of that equation. That's clever. That's very clever. And it, and it is a persistent sort of almost health check, as you put it. I think that's a great way to look at it. It's just, it's a persistent health check. That's I like it. I like it a lot. And I think that kind of looking at it as an ongoing thing, as opposed to a point in time thing, mm-hmm. is different than the normal red team or pen test or adversarial simulation, right? They come in, they do their thing, they drop the mic and then they leave, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is normal. And I've even heard it reduced down to what I've heard uh, described as micro red teaming, mm, Yeah, where you're actually including it in a CICD pipeline. And as soon as a 10-line snippet of code hits the street, that 10-line snippet of code gets pen tested, you know, gets red teamed. And I like that real-time discrete notion. But to your point, you're failing the big picture if all you ever do is, even if you do 10,000 series or parallel even discrete instances of red teaming, you're still missing the big picture if you're not if you're not striving for that ongoing perpetuity health check, health monitoring. And I love your analogy of this fan <laughs> port cable. That, that kind of, that's it. That, that stuff is real. And I know that story came from somewhere real. Yeah, yeah. Been there, done that, man. I've seen it before. I had a, back in the rack and stack days, I remember one time, this is back when the, uh, I'll give my age away. This is back when the compact servers used to have a button you could push on the front of the server that would light a light on the back of the server. So you knew for sure which of the 14 servers in that rack you were activating. And one of the guys on the team accidentally pushed the wrong button didn't realize it went back and unplugged the right light, you know, on the back. He, he unplugged where the light was lit. And uh, yeah, I've seen some some bad situations. Wrong, wrong cables get plugged in. Things get connected that shouldn't be. And things go offline and things go online even worse. Been there, done that. So that's, that's awesome. That's a great story. So how about fine-tuning the deployment of the controls? So now you've automated it, right? And we've talked about there's a health check. And we've talked about the red team is automating. The blue team is automating. Everybody's playing Pokemon Go on their phones now. <laughs> but we have to we have to live with that tomorrow. We have to figure out a way to fine-tune the actual controls because that's ultimately the real point of the whole purple team exercise, right? We're not just trying to do a, a, a random red versus blue, shake hands and go home. We're trying to improve the overall posture of the entire shop. So how do you fine-tune your deployment of controls based on that whole automation exercise? Yeah, I mean, I think that's where some of the experience that happens in that back and forth between the red and the blue side really helps. It doesn't really work that way. You have this conceptual idea of how things work, but the actual way it works is not the same. So having them sit down together and challenge their conceptual models of of what's going to happen when when they do this thing. You know, I asked this in, is one of my interview questions. I'll give it away if someone ever interviews with me. You've got a free one, but it's if you you know, when there's a buffer overflow in a program and I go ahead and I overflow that buffer, when does the program crash? Does it crash as the buffer's overflowing? What when is it the actual crash going to be? That forces you to think about how does it actually work, right? When does the the code as an attacker run? It's not not when the buffer overflows. It's later on when the uh, return pointer 
is overwritten and you return from that function call and it pulls it off the stack and tries to jump somewhere. Right, right, right. And it jumps to nowhere or it jumps to uh, far too far in the future or whatever it might exactly. be. Exactly. So having people sit down and say, all right, so pick, pick whatever technique it is you want and do it. And then look in the logs and see what are all the log pieces that are generated as I'm doing this attack. When I actually do the attack, what are the things after or before the attack I have to do as an adversary to get to the place where I, I need to do that? And all of those are opportunities for you to observe and react and respond to that activity and improve your team's detections and operating procedures when one of those things kicks off an alert. And so you could take to your question, it's not about the one thing. It now becomes, all right, there are four different alerts that happen when this attack is going on. We know they're all four of them are going to happen in order when it's this thing. If those things normally in, in the day-to-day basis are really noisy things, your team is not looking at them. Right. But right. if you now know it's those four things together become right. the high fidelity alert. You together now and in, in sequence, a way to right? It's together and in sequence, both. Exactly. That, that, yeah. it, versus, you know, oh, we get 100 of these, 1,000 of these, 10,000 of those, and 300 of those every day. Uh, yeah, but not in that order and not that close together, right? Yep. So that, okay, so that helps explain how the red team is sort of fine-tuning theirs. How about the blue team? They must have that same surprise function. It's not just, you know, the red team expects the buffer overflow to be instantaneous. They learn, (laughs) oh, no, that's not how it works. Okay, so meanwhile, the blue team is thinking, I threw up this wall. We're cool. We can go back to playing Pokemon Go, right? Something is going to happen that surprises them, too. So what's what's a good example of that side of it? Yeah, that's why it's so important for them to be in the same room, right? Yeah. You start off with something that you're testing that you suspect you don't do great, right? There's some place where you've decided you're going you're gonna to improve. And for me, my, my idea of a successful red team or purple team activity is in that one day that you set aside, a one extremely high fidelity alert that will let us know that any of, those, any of the scenarios for that chosen activity is happening, right? So... As they do that interplay back and forth, the red team is going to hit the traps a few times. The blue team's going to catch them and be like, ah, I got you. But then they're going to come up with an idea to get around it. Right. Right. And then they're going to show the blue, the blue folks, hey, this is how I just bypassed all those things we were talking about. And then they're going to go back and go, oh, wait, we're missing a log. Or there was an event that we saw, but we never paid attention to that one before. And they're going to add a new alert our behavior or, or go out and there's a new project where they have to go collect new logs or maybe even find a new tool that looks for that kind of thing. But you get that, that I have three quarters of the problem instrumented well, and I have a one quarter of it as a blind spot. Now I need to shine a flashlight there. Right. And that's where that really dials in and gets better on the, on that side. That's great. That's great. So there's a conversation we didn't have when we talked earlier before the show about what we might chat about, and I'm going to go ahead and throw this one out there, and that's the word maturity. The whole paradigm of purple teaming to me means you've made it to a certain point in your security program to begin with. In other words, I don't advise somebody who's brand spanking new just getting their first controls in place. GRC team is downloading the SANS documents and printing them furiously. And, you know, you're at the beginning stages. Like, that's not the time to purple team, right? I think that you have to have a certain level of maturity to purple team. But then I also think the flip side of that statement is by the time you are successfully purple teaming, you have 
demonstrated some maturity. What do you what do you think? What's your take on that one? Yes and no, right? So I think the activity, the purple team activities we're talking about are later in the game. Exactly. If you pull the lens back a bit, it's the interaction between the teams across the cybersecurity space, right? Whether it's, I think purple team is is sort of a, the idea is blending the the silos and blending the disciplines. And it could be red and it could be blue, or you can look at the different shades of red and blue, right? Where it's the security engineering folks and the security operations center and the incident response people. Having them interact together as you're building that maturity level so they really understand each other's jobs and what the the data they're going to need and the the way they're going to do their activities, that makes that team much more effective together, right? So I think you're right. The, the, the place where we've been focusing on those activities is not the place to start. But having that collaboration, I think, as as you build the team is very valuable. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. What a great way to put it, too, in terms of the the individual's maturity, the team's maturity, the organization's maturity, right? You're speaking to all three of those in that one situation. So let's let's talk about that then a little bit. You mentioned earlier you had a job interview question, and we've talked a little bit about maturing the team and, and getting folks in the various shades of red and shades of blue. Obviously, that all boils down to you've got to staff this and build this up. So I guess my first question on the staffing is, how are you designing your team? And then the next question would be, how are you hiring for that team? And then the third question would be, what about interchange and transitioning and people hopping from red to blue and that kind of thing? So let's let's start with the first question. How do you design your purple team? The buzzword alert, right? Like we're looking at the cyber fusion center kind of thing. And I know everyone's making fun of the fusion word, but I think it's still, still useful, right? It, it brings to people's minds the idea that you're trying to mash these things together. Yeah. And I think there is an element where from the very beginning, you have to take these disciplines that normally see themselves as separate and say, no, guess what? You're actually all part of the one team. And it's difficult, right? Because our industry has these silos that everyone's become very used to and they want to fall back into that. So it's very challenging. You have to play with the structure. You have to play with the organizational reporting chains to continually fight that tendency to go back to the comfortable, this is my silo, I live in my silo, and I don't have to worry about it, challenge that's there. And and to your point, right? Like I think that's a great aspect of it is the idea of moving people around within those silos becomes very valuable. And I think, you know, when you look at a traditional SOC kind of place, right? There's a layer one, level one, level two, level three SOC engineers, and maybe you can move up that way. If you want to have more experience or do different things, it's it's send your resume out and go find a new job, right? And I don't want that, right? If I've hired you, I've hired you because we think you're we we look at you as the individual, right? And and what you bring to the team, I want you to grow. I want you to grow within our environment, and ultimately, I'd like to have automation be doing the the base level work of of detecting and alerting people to the interesting things and sort of have the layer two or level three people be the majority of the kind of people that we have in our SOC and have them move into incident response as they develop a good understanding of the environment and of how the attacks work and the tools work or move into adversarial red team testing if they want to go in that direction and see the other side of it. And so 
create those flows around there and interactions. Yeah, I was going to ask, I know from experience of my own, the answer to this question, but I want to hear your perspective. How often does the blue guy want to go red and how often does the red guy want to go blue? <laughs> I mean, even my career, it's been back and forth, right? I, I've been a, a software development person. I've been a system administrator. I've done red teaming. I'm back now running an enterprise security organization, right? So it's, it's fun to flip back and forth and see the different perspectives I think the long-term goals on all of those teams, though, ends up being the same, right? You're trying to build something that ends up being more secure and better. And so kind of moving between those really helps refine the skills that you have there. So I think it's good good to have a move back and forth between those perspectives. So we've talked about the team design. We've talked about how you um, kind of move folks around. How about the initial staffing up? Do you have any specific... I'm a big fan of attitude and aptitude over immediate technical skills. If I've got to choose between the two, give me the attitude and aptitude and I'll teach him the skills. It's kind of my MO as a, as, a, as a hiring leader. What's your take on that, especially with purple teaming? Because you are talking about some pretty highly specific skills. How do you, how do you deal with that challenge? Yeah. I mean, I think we, we want people who can develop uh, software development and uh, to an extent is important where everything we're looking at goes towards automation eventually. So don't necessarily have to be a hardcore, I program 24-7 kind of person, but be able to script and those kinds of things. Have that idea, that desire to learn as part of the your core fiber of your, your existence, right? Because it's this industry is every day, it's a new thing that we have to figure out how does it work. And that curiosity is important. I think there's also the ability to think about what happens when it doesn't work the way it's supposed to. Right, right. That's a big part of what I look for in my hiring. A buddy of mine has described it as, do they have the evil bit, right? Like, can they can they think about, well, wait a minute, what happens if I don't do what everyone told me to do and I go in the exit instead of the yes. entrance? Do I yes. bypass all the security, you know, that kind of stuff. Yep, yep, yep. What happens if I plug it in that way? I love that mindset, the evil bit. I'm stealing that because that's a great way to characterize that so quickly. So curiosity, the evil bit, and and I guess that sort of that innate desire to tinker is kind of part of it too, right? Yes. All right. So we're getting close to the end of the show. I got a couple of questions I ask every guest and we'll start with this one. I want to hear from you. What keeps you in information security? Why are you still in the game? What gets you out of bed in the morning to bound into your job and say, I'm still doing cyber today? Every day I'm learning something. That's what keeps me excited. I love it. Short and sweet. That's, you know, and it's funny. I think that's probably the number one answer I get back from. I guess I'm going to actually, at the end of the first year, I'm going to tally the results of this question. <laughs> and I think that's number one is, man, there's always something new in this field. Always yeah. something new. I think if you're afraid of having to, of not knowing things, cybersecurity is probably the wrong field. Right. Right. <laughs> Ignorance is, in fact, a starting position every morning. <laughs> that's awesome. All right. Last question. What trends in InfoSec are you looking forward to? What do you see coming on the horizon in the world of cybersecurity that's got you jazzed? So I'm really excited about doing a lot of things in the cloud. By that, I mean like cloud-native, serverless kinds of things. We have, and hopefully I'm going to get it together and actually open source this soon, but we have built our entire incident response collection pipeline using serverless technology. And, and so we've got a script that uploads it to S3. That kicks off uh, message bus things that 
start jobs to pull the data out from the compressed thing, then starts running analysis on it, kicks it over to volatility, kicks it over to Plazo to build a timeline. So that by the time the collection is done and it's gone through that Rube Goldberg washer of, of looking at things, there's really actionable data sitting there for our incident response team to to decide what they want to do as far as, is this an incident? Do we need to do more investigation? It's been hugely valuable for us to be able to wow. play around in that space, but also focus on the, the interesting bits of processing that data. That's going to be really huge, both from our ability to automate, but also everybody out there that we're supporting and securing, they're using those tools too. So having our team get real familiar with it is really ramping our skills there too. Man, that's amazing. An automated pipeline for IR, a CICD pipeline of IR. That's genius, man. It's funny. We, we talk about what we can automate and everybody's always coming up with something cool and new that I, I, hadn't, I hadn't even thought of. Well, listen, Gabe Lawrence, General Manager of Cybersecurity Protection at Toyota Motor North America. Thank you so much for joining us here at the Cyber Ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. 